The year is 2005. Facebook just began. It's my freshman year at the University of Arkansas, baby. And so, desiring to get yoked, I decided to go down to the hype to get swole. That's right. Head back to the free weight section, cranking it out. Okay? Self-absorbed freshman I was. And so, Facebook being new that it was, I was obsessed with it a little bit. And so after I got done, you know, doing my workout, there's stationed in the hyper, back to the back, near the free weights, a little uh, station where there's a computer. And so I think, man, you know, I don't, we don't have smartphones. Man, I feel so old saying that. There weren't smartphones back then. So I go over to the computer. I want to check my Facebook. And kid you not, I'm in the hyper checking my Facebook. Now you can imagine how ridiculous you would think that that would be if you rolled up on somebody and they're like, they're in there checking their Facebook while they're trying to work out. Well, sure enough, an older member of my fraternity saw me. This was also the time that I was pledging a fraternity on campus, not to be named. And this older member comes up and he's like, Trey, what in the world are you doing? Checking your Facebook in the hyper. What are you doing? And of course, I just feel I'm completely embarrassed by this, right? Completely embarrassed. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Well, sure enough, next time that, we go, that I go back down to the house and all the pledges have to meet together, I get dubbed as the Facebook pledge. That's right, the Facebook pledge. My goal for that weekend, going into that weekend, was I had to add a thousand new friends on Facebook as the Facebook pledge. They wanted me, <laughs> this is hilarious, they wanted me to have more friends <laughs> than anybody else in my pledge class. And sure enough, off I went. So if I were going to hang out with a bunch of people, if there was a shindig or whatever, I'm there on my computer, right, because we don't have smartphones. I'm there on my computer trying to add people. I'm asking people at the hangout, hey, like, who are your friends? Like, who can I be adding? You know? And I'm adding a bunch of people. I have no idea who they are. Now, what's the point? Like, what's the, what's the problem with this utterly crazy, crazy story, which is just quite comical? It's the ridiculousness of saying that I added 1,000 friends in a weekend by the click of a button. I didn't know any of those people. They weren't my friends. And I guarantee you, if I look back at my Facebook page and however many followers I got, I don't know, I don't get on it much, um, most of those people aren't my friends, probably. Right? I don't keep up with them. I don't see them that often. I don't even know who they are. As Vaughn Roberts points out in that little book that I just gave out, there's a difference between friending and friendship. And I like how he makes this distinction. Friending is more about the quantity of friends that you have. These are relationships that are conducted over the Internet. It's more about the quantity of relationships that you have. You have more companions and acquaintances rather than you do friends. Friendship, however, is more about the quality of those relationships. It's more about face-to-face -face interaction. With the onslaught of social media platforms, friendship has begun to get watered down from what it's truly meant to be. As if we can just have interaction over the internet to try to fuel that intimacy that I think that we can have in true, deep, meaningful friendships. When I say intimacy, I don't automatically mean something sexual. 
Oftentimes when we think about intimacy, we think sexual, okay? We ought to be able to have deep, meaningful friendships and for them to be intimate. We ought to be able to have those intimate, meaningful relationships. And so this morning, I want to spend some time thinking about biblical friendship. And there are four aspects that I'm going to be looking at with regard to biblical friendships. Now, these are going to, on your handout, you're going to see a different title, which is great. I put those in there just so that they're easier to to pick up on. But I'm really getting at the foundation of biblical friendships, the goal of biblical friendships, the nature of biblical friendships, and the priority of biblical friendships. That's what I'm getting at this morning. So I want to take the first one, the foundational of biblical friendships. So biblical friendships are Christ-centered. They're Christ-centered. So to talk about relationships, we've got to begin with God who eternally exists in perfect loving relationship within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each is fully God, and yet they're three distinct persons of the Trinity. Our God is a relational God. And in his kindness, God created us to have a loving relationship with him. Not that God needed a relationship with us, as if, oh, poor God, lonely God, he's lonely. Instead, God created us so that we could be wrapped up in that intimate, deep, loving relationship that already exists within himself in the Trinity. God created us so that we could be wrapped up in that. And as his image bearers, we were designed to be relational beings like our father. Think about Adam and Eve. They enjoyed a perfect loving relationship with God, with one another, and with the world in the Garden of Eden. By the third chapter, though, you get this perfect, sweet, loving relationship that is completely shattered. It's broken. And it's not because God cheated on us, but it's because we cheated on God with the world. We cheated on God in order to be friends with the world, and as a result, we became enemies of God. Our relationship, that sin, the result of sin, brought about a separation between us and God. No longer were we on relational terms. We weren't on speaking terms, so to speak. And it also brought brokenness to our relationships with one another. Brokenness vertically and brokenness horizontally. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. God is in the business of restoring sinners like you and me back into relationship with himself. And he does this through his son, Jesus. As Matthew records, who is a friend of great sinners. Yes, he's a friend of sinners, Matthew eleven nineteen, And sinners, think about that. Think about this. Being who Jesus is, you'd think that he would roll up with an entourage of well-to-dos and do-gooders. But instead, he's hanging out with the outcasts and the have-nots of society. And yet there's something that we can learn about that in true, meaningful, biblical friendship. Jesus defines friendship not as, what can you do for me? But look at what I've done for you. Not what can you do for me, but look at what I've done for you. And only those that come to truly recognize that are going to be a friend of God. It's recognizing that we come into this world spiritually bankrupt with no way to pay God back for our sin against Him. On the cross, Jesus took our separation from the Father upon Himself so that we, enemies, can be restored and put back into right relationship with God. We can be friends of God. And not only does Jesus' death and resurrection 
restore our vertical relationship with God, it also restores our horizontal relationships with one another. This eternal relationship with our loving God can be yours by turning from your pursuit of friendship with the world and instead trusting in Jesus, the friend of sinners who laid down his life for his friends to put them back in the right relationship with God. It can be yours. And so the foundation of Christian relationship is based on the common unity that we have with one another through faith in Christ. That's the foundation. Christ is the foundation of any and every Christian friendship. Think about this. Christians can no more be a stranger to one another any more than your nose can be a stranger to your face. It's not foreign to your face. Yes, you were born with it. Lord willing, at least I see that everybody does have a nose in here. Okay. You were born with it. Think about the way the Bible describes unity among Christians. In Galatians 3.28, Paul, speaking about how we're sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ, says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying that you have a new identity. And because of this new identity, God has brought you into a new family. Jesus has brought unity in diversity. And that that diversity is going to look like some people being completely different than you relationally. They're going to be completely different than you. We ought to have relationships that only exist because of the gospel. Think about that. We ought to have relationships that only exist because of the gospel. Having inclusive relationships with those who are just like us actually says very little about the gospel. So understand, it's not shocking when the world sees a whole minority group of students hanging out with one another. It's not shocking whenever you go on campus and you see a bunch of frat guys or frat frat girls. You see a bunch of frat guys hanging out with one another. I'll just keep it at that. Okay, That's not shocking. What's shocking is that those two groups who, for the sake of our illustration, are completely different from one another, begin hobnobbing with one another, begin hanging out with one another. That is what's shocking. And they begin hanging out with one another because of their commonality in Jesus, their common unity in Christ. That is a supernatural work of God. And it can only happen by a work of God himself. When they can come together because of their common unity in Jesus, because they're in Christ. So when you think of your relationships in the church, what in your mind is the binding factor? Is it your skin color that binds us together? Is it your age or your stage of life? Right? We're in college. That kind of just binds us together. Is it your personality, how you relate to one another? Well, I usually just hang out with type A people, you know, because we can all get anxious together and freak out all the time. I'm dogging on type A's because I am one, all right? So I'm there with you. Is it your love for all things Starbucks, puppies, and Grey's Anatomy? From what I gathered from a student this week, Starbucks, puppies, and Grey's Anatomy were all the things that girls love to do on campus. Now, you can talk to Nathan Brock about that if he is wrong, and you can call him out, right? What binds us together? Scripture tells us that what binds us together is Christ. If the foundation of our relationships is Christ, then we also have a common commitment in following Christ together, which brings us to point number two. 
Biblical friendships have a common goal. They've got a common goal. If our friendships are founded upon Christ, then it only makes sense that our common goal is pursuing Christ-likeness together. It only makes sense that it's that. I want to read a couple of passages, and I want you all to help me with that. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. Somebody raise your hand that will read that. If not, I will start naming names. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 through 25. Ashton. And then John chapter 15, 12 through 13. Who wants to get that after Ashton reads Hebrews 10? John 15, 12 through 13. Jimmy. All right. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Who wants that after Jimmy? Jake. Great. All right. So Ashton, go ahead. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and then we'll move in succession after that. All right. Yep. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Uh, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Okay, so helping one another become more like Christ not only includes encouragement. Did you notice that? It includes it includes admonishment. At times, we give positive encouragement, and at other times, we need to speak a hard word to our friends who are becoming lazy in the faith. You've got both. You encourage one another spiritually. We're to be patient with both. Notice that universal, uh, that universal kind of trait right there, that with both, you admonish the idol in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, you admonish the idol, and you also encourage the faint-hearted. that with both of those, you're patient with everybody. And so your relationships ought to be characterized by patience. Christians are to spur one another on to greater faith, love, self-sacrifice, and maturity in Christ. That's what it looks like. That should be the goal of our relationships with one another in here. They're spurring one another on to Christ-likeness. Hey, you need to stop being lazy and you need to get with it. We'll meet up and get in the Word together in order to help get some self-discipline within you so that you can get in a regular routine of reading the Word. It can be encouraging, like, man, I've really seen how you've been been growing lately. Praise God for the work in His life. You regularly want to read the Word. You're regularly praying with people. You're regularly sharing your faith. They include both of these things. And so, do you have such friends? That's the question. Do you have those kinds of friends? What do your friendships look like? Are they more companions or acquaintances than friends? People you can just do nothing with, right? Are they more like that? Or do your friendships have the common goal of helping one another pursue Christ? What do your friendships look like? If not, a great place to begin is actually right here, in this room, in this church. It starts by meeting one another and then asking questions of one another. That's where it can begin for you. If you think, man, to be honest with you, 
I don't really know how many of my friendships really spur me on in the faith. Well, then it begins right here. It begins by you crossing the Red Sea of the divide of man and woman right here. This morning, building relationships with, another, with one another. A couple questions that you can begin with. Do you claim to be a Christian? What's your testimony? What's something that you're encouraged or discouraged by in your walk with Christ? What are some ways that I can be praying for you in your ministry? If you go to lunch together after the service, you can ask them, hey, what were some helpful things from the sermon this morning uh, for you? What were those helpful things for you? Also, I think it's, it's the fact that we need to assess our relationships to see if they're committed to the same goal. I think that automatically means you've got to assess your relationships. Are you committed to the same goal in your relationships? That was, one, that was a very, very hard thing for me when coming to faith in Christ. Because I realized that most of my relationships were pursuing the world. They were friends with the world. And they were trying to tug me out this way. Those aren't biblical friendships. Biblical friendships are trying to pull you more toward Christ and away from the world. Desires of the eyes and of the flesh, pride of life, as John speaks about it in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. So we got to assess. We need to assess our friendships. It shouldn't be awkward to pray for one another and have spiritual conversations with believers. That should come naturally. Now, it doesn't because it's hard, but it ought to get to that point. It ought to get there. If not, right, well, then we got to keep working at it. Friendships ought to be the most comfortable and safe place to have spiritual conversations. When you're dealing with stuff, you ought to be able to go to your Christian friends and be able to talk to them about it. You ought to be able to go to older Christian men and women within the church and to be able to get counsel from them. And you shouldn't feel bad about doing that. You shouldn't feel like you're burdening them. No, as a matter of fact, Christ calls us to carry one another's burdens and sorrows. We're called to it. And so we need to pursue one another. It's godly friendships that help us lay aside our sin and look to Jesus in order to run the race set before us so that we receive that prize of the upward call of God in Christ. That's what they're for. If this is our goal, then what's the basic characteristic of these relationships in the church? It brings us to point number three. Basic characteristics of biblical friendships. They are familial. Now, what I mean by familial, that just means family-like. That's what that means. They're family-like. Basic characteristic is they're they're family-like. Paul encourages Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, to exhort this congregation in this way. He says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Encourage men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So Paul is saying that the common characteristic for every Christian relationship is that of a family. In the church, we're to treat each other as family members, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So what is a biblical, healthy brother and sister relationship, yeah, relationship actually look like? It's not stranger. It's not acquaintance. It's not a business relationship. We're not to deal with one another at a distance or at a superficial level. How would a man treat his sister or his brother? How does a woman treat her brother or her father? Here are a couple things that come to mind. So these are subpoints within point number three. Okay, Just leading you along right here. Number one, treat one another with love, care, and concern. 
So how is this care demonstrated? By going out of your way to serve one another and to make sacrifices for each other. After all, in John 13, 34 through 35, the world will know that you're Jesus' disciples. How? And yes, we can give a little feedback here. How will the world know that you're Jesus' disciples? That you love one another by your love for one another. Think about a typical family. You do things for each other that you wouldn't expect someone else to do for you. Someone with a health issue. You know, I think of, you know, it is public knowledge, but I think, you know, of like Melissa, like with her stomach issues from this past semester, right? I think caring for her, loving her well is regularly checking in, asking how you can help asking ways that you can be praying for her. Do you need a ride to an appointment? Do you need notes from a class that you've missed that I can sit in on and get those notes for you? Can I grab you some dinner? Have you missed a lot of sleep because of it? Can I get you a coffee? Ask what ways you can pray and then pray for them right there, right then and there. It can be a physical need. It can be spiritual. When someone's in depression or they're struggling with loneliness and isolation, these friendships or to be a buffer against that. So spiritually, haven't seen you in church in a month or two. What's up? That's a great one. A lot of college students, man, they've been sleeping for months. You might just need to say, bro, what's up? Where have you been? I haven't seen you in months. It's almost been a year now. Like, what is going on? Are you still following Jesus? Right? I think, that, I think there is a time for that, that that is loving. It's showing concern and care for them. And I'll get to that type of commitment here in a minute in point number four. Second, treat one another with interest and knowledge. Second, treat one another with interest and knowledge. Genuine family members are engaged with each other. They're not emotionally distant. So, for instance, when you walk into this room on Sunday morning, in the Red Sea, literally, the Red Sea parts, and guys go sit on one side and ladies sit on the other side, consider what that is like from the standpoint of a family. If you're, in, if you're on good standing with your brothers and sisters in your household, literally, your household, you're not just going to ignore them. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> I think I'm going to go get some coffee. You're not going to ignore them. You would move toward them and you would say, I'm doing great. How are you doing? You would begin a conversation with them, right? These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are part of the same family if you are in Jesus. So you've got to move toward one another, okay? And you all know this. Every one of you in here knows this. Don't act like, man, Trey's on his hobby horse today. What's wrong? (laughs) You know, like, this isn't like I'm going off, okay? I'm not ranting. I'm just stating what is factual, And you know it's factual. You know it's factual. (laughs) There are plenty of reasons for why this happens, okay? For some, right, it could be that we're just paranoid to talk to someone of the opposite sex, which automatically means that somehow you're on the prowl. If I go talk to these girls, they think I'm on the prowl. And, like, they think I'm interested. Or if, you know, a guy comes up to you, ladies, and you're like, man, why is he coming to talk to me? Like, he must be interested. Like, is he going to ask me out? You know, like, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for why this paranoia exists, right? But as the prophetess Haley Meyer once said, 
Give attention to all and intention to none. I think that's a helpful word. Give attention to all and intention to none. A.K.A. Be friends with everybody. Be friends with everyone. You ought to know every single person's name in here. You ought to know their name. Most of you in here are members. You ought to know every single person's name in this room. Be friends with everyone. Ladies, don't just assume a guy is interested just because he walks up to you and says, hey, how's it going? Okay. Fellas, don't think that one of the ladies is interested just because she says, hey, and ask how you're doing. Like, wow, do I need to like, start pursuing this? Don't, you don't have to go there. Ladies, don't think that the guys have to move toward you first. You can go have a, have a conversation with someone of the opposite sex without it getting super personal. Fellas, man up and move toward the ladies first so that they don't have to be put in the situation of coming to you first. Take charge. Friends, this ought to be the normal part of building godly, intimate relationships. That's what they ought to look like. You're moving toward one another. It's natural for you to have conversations with one another. You're brothers and sisters in Christ, and it ought to be natural. One encouragement I gave one of the guys in this room uh, with regard to this very thing, whenever we were chatting about this, uh, because it is very apparent, we're chatting about this, and I just encouraged him. I said, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to, build, you need to make two friendships. Well, actually, you need, at the nine, you need to go and have two conversations with someone of the opposite sex. So go to two girls and have a conversation with them. Get to know them. Meet two new girls that you do not know. Main service, go meet another guy that you don't know very well, that you just haven't hung out with or you haven't talked with. Go talk to that person in the main service. And so I think that's helpful for us. Think about ways, set goals. Like when you come into the nine, okay, and I get it, some are more introverted and some are more extroverted, okay? But that still does not, being introverted doesn't negate you from actually pursuing relationships with one another. You've just got to have the right expectations. So just think, okay, today I'm going to meet one new person that I don't know really well, and then just meet that one person. Okay, I'm going to meet one, someone of the opposite sex. Oh boy, this is going to be interesting, but I'm going to go for it, okay? And go for it. Relationship requires knowledge. we got to move toward one another. We can't know each other if we don't pursue friendship with one another. Generally, knowing each other's lives is critical to having brotherly and sisterly relations. And finally, third sub-point, under point number three, treat one another with purity. Paul says at the end of this verse to treat others with absolute purity. So Paul knows that sexual sin is a danger. And he urges men and women to be careful about how they live among each other. He wants our relationships in the family of God to be characterized by pure and holy living. Unless someone in the church is your spouse, they are to be treated as your own biological brother or sister. Yes, I said that. And for those of you dating, you can wrestle all you want with that. But here's a warning. We've got to watch out for being super friends. Now, I don't think necessarily this is probably going to be the case right now, but it could be. And you need to mark my words from this very lesson to come back and listen to this episode. Watch out for being super friends with one another. You know, the guy or the girl who spends a little too much time around one another. It's not serious, they say. We're just really good friends, they say. All right? 
But we've got to watch out for getting into this position because often it's the beginning of an on-ramp toward impurity. And what's crazy is it catches you off guard. What you thought wasn't there really is. And you might end up riding that slippery slope to a place that mm, you probably didn't intentionally mean to end up at. So biblical friendships are Christ-centered. They're committed to a common goal. They're familial. And fourthly, if that's even a word, fourthly, they are fostered in the local church. So biblical friendships have a context. Christian relationships are not context-less. They have a setting. So it's great for us to have a wide range of relationships, of friendships, and to befriend Christians at work, Christians at school and other settings, but the healthiest context for these relationships to be fostered is in a local church. Because the church is the setting given to us to live out these family-like relationships. In a church, we make a self-conscious commitment to pursue biblical faithfulness to one another. I have a commitment. I have got a commitment to many of you in here that I do not have with Cross Church peeps or New Heights peeps. I just don't. I'm not going to be meeting up for accountability with those cats. I'm not going to. I'm going to probably be meeting up with you all. If you've got some family issues and you're like, hey, Trey, I'd love to talk about this. You're coming over for breakfast. We're chatting about stuff. I have a commitment to you to try to work through some of those things. That's what true biblical friendship looks like. We have a commitment to one another. Our church covenant, our church covenant describes this well. It describes these set of commitments that we have toward one another. The fourth paragraph of our covenant reads like this. We further covenant to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling, in courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the command of our Savior to secure it without delay. These statements underscore the corporate and others-directed nature of the local church and our relationships with one another. Also, notice that these lines from the church covenant are not gendered statements, like, guys, you can only do this, ladies, you can only do that. While there are certainly some wise distinctions that I think we've got to make based on gender, these statements are not intended to be lived out as gender-based silos. For the covenant to be lived out and for us to have meaningful membership, there's got to be meaningful contact with all types of Christians. There must be brotherly and sisterly relationship between uh, different members, whether that be single, whether that be married, whether that be old, whether that be young, whether that be male or female, or all the different ethnicities that we have in our, converse, in our con- uh, congregation. And the beauty is that the diversity of relationships serves, like I said, as a buffer against isolation and loneliness. It serves as a buffer to know, hey, if someone's been gone for three or four months, you know who it is. I can look at that member directory and I said, yep, hadn't seen that guy in four months. I need to probably get lunch with him. You can do that. It helps to buffer against isolation and loneliness. My goodness, think about the issues of loneliness that everybody in here has. FOMO, my goodness, you get on Facebook, you get on Twitter, you get on Insta, and there's FOMO just foaming out the mouth on these social media networks, right? 
And so it helps whenever you have face-to-face interaction and you're building deep, deep, meaningful relationships with one another. It helps against loneliness. So how are we to relate to different members in the church? Okay, so I want to talk about just relating. This is the last bit right here, and then we'll be done. I know I told you this was going to be long. How do we relate to different members in the church? I want to think about how we relate to one another. I've already talked a lot about that. I'm going to give just a couple of examples. I'm not going to spend a ton of time with how we relate to one another. I'll talk about a couple of things, but I want to move into other relationships, say, with married couples, families, empty nesters, all that. So relating to other singles. Now, I want to give a caveat right here. When I'm speaking about singles, I'm speaking about everyone in here, everybody in here. I see you, Jaden Talley, and Garrett Tatum. I'm speaking about everybody, okay? I know that coming into it, all right? About to be married here fairly soon. So if you're in a dating relationship, you're engaged, you're technically in the, in the status of single, okay? There are two settings that we have, that everyone has, when we look at the biblical evidence. You have single or you have married. Both are blessings and both are gifts from God. The difficulty is that oftentimes people think that singleness is just a gift they don't want, like grandma's sweater that she got you that has a massive reindeer on it, and you're like, woof. Or, <laughs> or you may be like, that may be just the coolest reindeer sweater I'll ever own. I don't know. You may have a fetish with those kinds of things. So, so understand, right? From 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about singleness and marriage as blessings and as gifts, one is not a sub-rate status in the, in the Christian life. After all, the most fully human that ever lived was what? Single. It would be crazy to think that you're a second-rate Christian because you're single. So if you ever find yourself 35 and single, you don't need to be fretting about that. Okay? You need to live to glorify and honor the Lord. And you need to remember that the most fully human person that ever walked the face of the earth was single himself. And because the majority of us in here are single, we've got a large single population within the church, and so I think it's helpful for us to think about and think through how we pursue God relationships with one another regardless of sex. So being single in college, you've got the most free time that you're ever going to have in your life, and I'm telling you it now. You have the most free time that you will ever have in your entire life. So how can you leverage that for building intimate, deep relationships with one another? Number one, you got to start moving toward people. We talked about this. Friendships are forged when you make time for others. You're going to have to make time throughout your week with other people. A couple of ideas moving forward um, in this. Schedule a lunch with someone each and every single week to get lunch with them. That's a great way to start it. If we post something in the group me, man, let's get a bunch of people to go hang out in Union and get lunch. And there's a bunch of people like liking it. Well, go. Go if someone's trying to gather a bunch of people to get lunch with one another. If you're introvert, extrovert, wherever you're at, just show up. Just get there. Schedule a lunch and meet with people regularly. That's helpful to do that. If you're stuttering, it's stuttering. If you're stuttering like Trey, if you're studying, if you're studying, ask others to come and study with you. Now I get it. There's some of you that are serious about your studies. You're thinking, there is no way I'm going to be able to focus. And I'll be quite honest with you. In college, what did I do? I went and hung out, with, I went and hung out at Club Mullins just to party up there. I didn't go to ever study. 
But I'll tell you this, I did have a lot of good, meaningful relationships that were forged in Club Mullins. <laughs> Take people along with you. If you go on a road trip, get some people to go with you. Those that you're trying to build deep, intimate relationships with, Take them with you. If you're going to pray, ask someone to pray with you. Start prayer walking on campus for crying out loud. I mean, just meet together. Secondly, share things about yourself that are more than surface level. Ask spiritual questions rather than just generic questions. Hey, how are you doing today? Oh, doing well. Oh, great. That's great. Man, so where are you from? Oh, okay. Right? I mean, yes, you, you got to start there, but you're going to have to move out of that into having spiritual conversation. I gave some examples of those questions earlier. Thirdly, persevere in developing intimate friendships. Friendships don't develop if we don't continually tend the vine of that relationship. Be willing to cross from your normal friend group into another group. Okay, so right here, UBC College, big circle. Okay, beauty about this is we don't do a midweek. We do that intentionally. We don't do a midweek, so you've got a lot of different people from all over. Hey, here's crew peeps. Here's BCM peeps. Shoot, we've even got C3 peeps. <laughs> Little yellow peeps, you know. Uh, <laughs> since it's Easter or past. Um, and you've got all these different subgroups of people within here. Oh, we've got people that are really committed to DBC. One thing that you've got to be able to do, well, I mean... It came out wrong. You know what I'm saying. They do the internship with the UBC, whatever. So what I'm trying to get at right here is that you've got to start crossing between all of these. Does this make sense? You've got to start crossing, and all of this needs to be formed into one. I know that just looks like a bunch of lines. But you get what I'm saying. You need to start moving out of just kind of, hey, well, I'm involved with this ministry, so I hang out with people in this ministry. You've got to get out of that. You're going to have to start moving toward one another. Crew needs to start moving toward BCM. BCM needs to start moving toward yellow, yellow, yellow peeps or whatever. You get what I'm saying, okay? You move and you cross-pollinate with one another. That's right. You cross-pollinate. I'm just going to move on. How do you do this? 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 You need to show up at our weekly hangouts. One of the reasons why we have weekly hangouts together is so that you all can get to know one another and forge those deep, intimate relationships with one another. We have something every single week, or the social planners ought to be planning something every single week. We have something every single week. And so you need to show up to that. No matter what little kind of group you find yourself in or whatever, You need to show up to those. Those are for you. You have to realize that even if you are in every single one of these right here, these little pockets, this ministry is your ministry. This college ministry is your ministry. You have to own it. I'm a facilitator of it. I don't do your college ministry for you. You're the one who owns it. And we need to be able to build deep relationships with one another in the midst of that. Use our weekly hangouts to do so. Bring others along with you to do that who are maybe trying to get into community. They need to be put around other Christians. Bring others along with you. Think about how freeing this is, okay? Think about this. Think about how freeing that this is with those who wrestle with same-sex attraction. Same-sex attraction is not a sin, okay? 
It's not a sin. It's part of the fallen world that we live in. Think about those who struggle with same-sex attraction in the church. When they know they have others pursuing these kinds of friendships, it serves as a witness to the relational intimacy and security that they can have outside of marriage. These kinds of relationships make the celibate life possible for many who struggle and wrestle with same-sex attraction. So we've got to begin fostering these deep, intimate relationships with one another. That's what we've got to be focusing on. It's not, oh, that person struggles with same-sex attraction. Oh, so we just need to promote marriage all the time. No, that's not probably the healthiest way to do that. We need to foster healthy relationships. And so we've got to move toward one another. We've got to share things, right, more than just kind of surface level, and we need to pursue these relationships. So how can we help to cultivate biblical friendships among singles regardless of sex, right? That's what we've got to think about. All right, moving toward other relationships within the church. Married couples with kids. What I'm going to do right here is I'm just going to give you examples of people that I've seen do it well, and I'm just going to start spouting off ideas for you to start pursuing married couples with kids, families, and empty nesters. Consider hosting a game night. Invite a married couple over along with other friends. That way, you not only get to know them, you're doing multiple things at once. Not only do you get to know them, you get to know somebody else as well. You're inviting, you're inviting multiple people, multiple birds being hit with one stone. One guy that I remember back in Louisville that did this well was that he actually got with a married couple, I think it was almost every single week, for a movie night. A movie night, which is incredible to me. I mean, that's fantastic. Think about that. Ask a married couple and say, hey, why don't we try to do a movie night once a month? Start there. Families. I want to give the example of Caleb Eves, our own church. Make and take a meal to a family and then ask them to bring other people with them and say, you know what, I'm just going to make everybody a meal. And I just want to have a meal with you all. And, he, and it, it can be cheap. It can be spaghetti and meatballs. Not even meatballs, just spaghetti <laughs> and like tomato sauce. I get it, you're broke, okay? But then just say, hey, I would love to have you all over. Or I would love, like if you've got kids, I would love to be able to take this to you and to have dinner with you. And you can invite whoever else you want. Take dinner to them. He's great at that. Ask a married couple, ask a married couple or those with kids into your dorm to have ramen noodles. I kid you not. When all your other friends on your dorm floor see that, their mouth is going to drop and wonder what in the world kind of relationships are going on at that church. But it's attractive. I want that. That's what we want. Think of Billy Nisnik. Ask if you can just come over for dinner. (laughs) Billy did this with us. I think that's great. Ask if you can come over for dinner. Think about some questions that you'd like to ask. How did you meet? What's the hardest thing about parenting? How, How many kids do you hope to have? Which child is most like each of you? Just ask to come over and get a meal so that you can get to know them. There's nothing wrong with that. Our culture tells us something's wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Now I look at Billy like, what the heck is this girl doing? No. I was like, oh, yes, you're exactly right. Let's have you over. Set up a time. Share some things about your life. Think through some things that you'd like to, you'd like to get counsel on or ask before you go. As well, Ashton Mooneyham and Amy Westerman. Didn't know I'd be calling you out. Offered a babysit for couples so that they can get a date night. And then once you get back, once they get back, Begin to enter into conversation with them. Some of the most fantastic relationships that Kristen and I 
were able to foster while in seminary whenever, were when we went and babysitted for people. And whenever we got done, they would just sit and chat with us for hours about stuff. Now, you don't, you don't need to expect that necessarily, but we had some glorious conversations in late nights after they got back whenever, from, us, uh, from their date and from us babysitting for them. Wonderful way to do that. Think about how to do that. Empty nesters. One relationship in my own life uh, was with a guy by the name of Bill Kaiser. And one of the great things about empty nesters is that they've got plenty of time. They're going to tell you they don't, but they do. They've got plenty of time. And one relationship that I remember whenever I just graduated college, I was a member of this church before I went to seminary, with a guy named Bill Kaiser. Died about a year ago. Super close with him. And one thing that we did was we just got together weekly to meet at the Village Inn at like the crack of dawn, but make it happen. Because we had some of the best conversations that I can remember. And just talking about everything from his business to his kids, from his vacations to how he's doing spiritually to his reading through the Bible in a year plan. I mean, it was incredible. Move toward empty nesters. Get up early if you have to in order to meet with them. Ask them about wise ways to invest your money. What are the joys of parenting and the hardest moments of parenting? What were some of the lessons that you've learned in life that you could teach me? Go see a play at Walton Art Center with them. Go to a football game. I mean, I went with, to a football game with Bill. Go to a football game with him. Okay? Ladies, I don't want to leave you out of this. Ladies, if the wife likes to do crafts, ask to do crafts with her sometime. If she likes to cook, ask her if she can teach you some tools of the trade. Okay? All of that. Those are some helpful ways for that. So here's the final word of encouragement. Considering, consider, right, for today and maybe on out. Consider sitting somewhere else in the congregation on Sunday mornings rather than the far left side of the main hall. Sit around people that you don't know and then ask them to lunch. And just get lunch with them so that you can begin dialoguing with them and begin building relationships with them. And in order to seek out these relationships, you got to go to where members are at. Go to the Sunday night service. Be at the main service. Be at the nine right here. Be, go to the Wednesday night prayer gathering. Serve in all the different areas of ministry within the church, whether that be with kids on Wednesday night or whether that be uh, on a Sunday morning, say, with sound or with music, getting to meet other people. So what kind of friendships do you have? That's a question. That's the question. What kind of friendships do you have? But maybe the better question is to ask, what kind of friend are you? To have good friends, you must first be a good friend. Be the kind of friend that you hope others to be to you.